Welcome to Kids Considered, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics of interest to parents in a podcast with new subjects considered every episode. I'm Dr. Lena Vanderlist. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. And we're both pediatricians at UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. All right, so today on the podcast, we're going to shake things up a little bit. I know. We've spent a lot of time recently covering pretty heavy topics. Triple demics, blah, mm -hmm. cancer, mm -hmm. forever chemicals. I had to go out and buy all new, like, cookware because <laughs> Dean scared me about putting these forever chemicals into my body. I know, but new cookware is kind of nice to use. We did the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it can feel overwhelming when we talk about all these like toxins and other things that are going on. Yeah, and really we know burnout and stress are really at an all-time high across all professions, not just healthcare. And 3 in 5 workers in the US report negative impacts from work-related stress at home. So what does this all have to do with kids and health, you might be wondering? We know that when parents are stressed, fatigued, we don't do as good of a job at parenting or just, you know, living or, or relationships in general, being present and experiencing joy and gratitude. They're all so important for all of us. So today we're really excited to be joined by Dr. Sarah Agamhamade, a pediatric intensive care physician and amateur improv comedian and the Chief Wellness Officer at UC Davis Health to talk to us today about burnout, about reclaiming joy, laughter, and her journey learning about workplace wellness. Dr. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us on Kids Considered today. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. So there are not many specialties within medicine that I can think of that are quite as intense as working in the pediatric intensive care unit, the ICU. <laughs> And not only are the hours demanding, but it requires an exceptional amount of knowledge, precision. There's an emotional toll of dealing with very sick children and their very concerned families. So I was hoping you could share a little bit of your own personal journey with burnout and how it led you to your current position. Well, I discovered my passion for clinician well-being during my residency as we were battling a different pandemic, H1N1, about 12 years ago. At that time, wellness wasn't even on the radar, let alone a priority. And in spite of that, I was able to create wellness programs at my teaching institution. The interesting thing when you become a grown-up doctor is that the structured support seemingly disappears, although your responsibilities grow. So four years into my job, between short staffing, the intensity of the job, and a traumatizing event that occurred to me at work, I experienced burnout and PTSD. And that's where my journey of post-traumatic growth began and has led me to pursue wellness initiatives at UC Davis Health and align myself within positions of leadership to network and advocate for clinician wellness. And we're so happy that you landed there and are here to talk to us about this topic because I think it touches everybody at some point, whether they're in medicine or not. So let's talk more about burnout. What is it specifically and how do individuals recognize it within themselves? So the textbook definition of burnout is depersonalization, a sense of lack of accomplishment and emotional exhaustion, which is all true. But what we don't talk about is how it feels like a crisis of identity. Because if I'm not a doctor, then what am I? I've spent my life working to develop a very particular set of skills. And then I had reached a moment where I wasn't sure if this is even what I wanted anymore. But what else could I do? 
Who am I if not Dr. Sarah? It is a deep feeling of despair and loss of identity, and it's not uncommon to what I hear parents say when they feel like they've lost their individuality once they become so-and-so's mom or dad. It took a lot of deep work for me to realize that I am so much more than Dr. Sarah. I was an entire person before I joined this profession, and I spent months reconnecting with my talents and skills that were uniquely me. That's when the growth began, and I learned that I can do many things, but at the end of the day, I am whole and complete as myself without attachments to all the things that I do. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's that's so much to go into. I, mm-hmm. I think I, I sometimes think like I spent so much of my life like devoting to medicine that I maybe missed out on the opportunities of finding some of those things about who I am. You know, like mm-hmm. what if I like I spent so much of my 20s doing like reading textbooks and all of that that I, I didn't get to like find out if I love to like do pottery or other things like that. So now I need to reconnect with some of those things. Well, now I'd like you have the podcast for your creative outlet. And sometimes exactly. we actually sing together. <laughs> <laughs> we have sang together in the past, Dr. Dean. That's so true. And I I love and I think we'll talk more about that into like what kind of helps. But yes, this definitely helps with my anti-burnout 100 Mm percent so for some workplace wellness activities i have to say i just laugh like i roll my eyes at some of these activities because you know i know it comes from a good place to have these workplace activities especially like providing food that like seems like a really good one like pizza parties and yoga classes i mean yoga you know i enjoy that that's great but Some of them, sometimes these workplace activities, sometimes they feel like an extra requirement, an extra burden that people have to do. And I'm wondering, like, you know, is this really a good thing for people who are already feeling burned out? And now they feel like here's one more thing that like they have to do. So do you have any data to show like what factors really contribute to burnout and really these wellness activities, how they really can really mitigate this burnout? Absolutely. And I think that you touch on something that's so important, and that is kind of the victimization of the person experiencing burnout, which really puts them in such an unfair position that the onus is on them. So we know professionally that people who spend at least 20% of their time working on projects or ideas that they are personally interested in, like having a podcast, (laughs) have a decreased rate of burnout because it connects us to meaning in our work. And the pandemic highlighted the inequities in the workplace, particularly how it negatively impacted women in underrepresented communities. And I'll admit, the wellness industry has really done a disservice in how much they have commercialized self-care. Yes, it is important, but you can't resilience your way out of burnout. Because trust me, I've tried. (laughs) We live and work in a productivity-based work culture where people are caught in the middle of being told to take care of themselves while being expected to perform at exceptionally high levels. And any defect is a reflection on them, not the system. We need to practice community care, not as much self-care. Self-care is important, but we're missing the fact that we don't live and work in silos. And community care means that members of a community use their power, privilege, and resources to help each other individually and collectively. And people thrive in communities where their needs are anticipated, supported, and advocated. Yeah, I mean, that's a great way to put it. It's so it's so hard because we tend to do this to ourselves, right? Like, oh, why can't I just make it to the gym three times a week while I also need to want to spend time with my daughter and do this and be a good doctor? And all of that. But but just like you said, like having these Wednesday mornings to work on the podcast, getting to do advocacy stuff, 
um, even if it means extra time, really makes me fulfilled within my work. So when I'm talking to people that are training, I'm always like, it's not necessarily that um, sometimes you you spend more time doing it, but it actually makes you feel less burnt out because mm-hmm. you like doing it. You feel fulfilled doing it. You're with other people that are exciting and interesting. And it's all about finding that. But it's hard to do. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You're creating time and space for something. I know that for you, you have found fun, creativity, obviously laughter, joining a local improv company. So I really want to know more about this journey and kind of how this experience changed you. Oh, I love this. So improv changed my life. And that is not hyperbole. I always loved comedy and performing. It was an aspect of myself that I neglected over the years that I spent becoming a doctor. And on a work friend's suggestion, as I was you know, finding myself through burnout and PTSD, we decided to take improv classes at the Sacramento Comedy Spot, a local nonprofit comedy theater. And in that first class, something within me came back to life. And that flicker became a growing flame with each class. And I was hooked. I took all of the classes. I formed an improv troupe with science-minded women of diverse backgrounds. I was asked to join the board, and I'm now the president and a regular performer in a couple groups. And improv taught me how to be in the present moment, to trust my instincts, and how to build and connect with others. The first rule of improv is yes and, which means to agree and build. The second rule is to listen. In my work life, I have to anticipate and be prepared to act on so many potential scenarios. In improv, I just need to listen, agree, and build. This has been transformative for me personally and professionally because I can apply those same rules to any situation. And personally, it challenges me to think creatively and differently than I typically would. And I surprise myself and my teammates every time. And it's always amazing. (laughs) I have not gotten to see you perform, but I'm going to put it on my to-do list for sure because I would love to see that. I'd love to see you in the audience and to make you laugh. (laughs) You know, one of the things that I tend to do is like I hear improv and I connect that with like comedy. And then I think of like stand up comedians. And Mm -hmm. then I think it's terrifying because stand up comedians like that's just, you know, just you and the mic in front of an audience. That must be so terrifying. But improv is different than stand up, right? Those are two completely different things. Yes. Stand-up actually requires a lot of preparation and, um, you know, they rehearse their material and the delivery of it. Whereas improv, you just show up. You show up with a good attitude, a good team-based mentality. You get the suggestion from the audience and you look to each other. And we, our ritual backstage before we go on is we pat each other on the back and we say, I got your back. And that means that whatever happens, I am there for you and we are going to make this Something, whether it's good or bad, <laughs> we'll find out. And and then poof, it's done. Once it's, you know, you never see it uh, replicate. And it's it's liberating. Well, Dr. Lena and I are our game. And we <laughs> we were wondering if, if, you know, we've got each other's back. And, we've got each other's uh, back. Great <laughs> you know, could start. you walk us through a quick improv activity? Maybe one that could translate well to like audio only since nobody yes. can see us gesture or anything. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Sure. Let's start with a simple one. And this is just called the question game. So we will carry on a conversation speaking to each other only in questions. And the conversation has to make sense. So you want it to have a type of flow. Um, And uh, and it's okay to pause for a second, but you really just want to trust your instinct, right? The first thing that comes to your mind and say it. And 
And in improv, we say mistakes are gifts. So it doesn't matter what you say. Um, it's, it's all going to be okay. And often the funniest, the best thing comes out of a mistake. So we'll, I'll start. Um, and we can go in any particular order. Um, just speak when you feel moved. But <clears throat> remember, only in questions. Did you hear that the cats escaped from the cat cafe? I didn't even know there was a cat cafe. Where is this? You mean the one that's next to the orange building on J Street? Yeah, it's funny. It's now orange and black striped, which I think that I think. Did you hear the cats had something to do with it? Do cats paint or what? Do they have opposable thumbs? <laughs> I, I think that they may have opposable thumbs, but you know, I was wondering if that one cat, the big fat cat, was the one that had all of it, you know, recommended this. I thought, do cats eat at the cat cafe? Because I thought cats were such picky eaters. It must be terrible to be the chef there. <laughs> I heard the chef is, I, the chef asked me, are they just patting around the kibbles and bits back and forth? <laughs> Did you see them do that? I thought he only ate Fancy Feast, but um, he also wondered if it's a seasonal menu at the Cat Cafe. Do you know if it's a seasonal menu, Dr. Dean? I don't know. Are there seasonal mice? (laughs) (laughs) And scene. Oh, God. That's hard to do, actually. Okay. (laughs) That was fantastic. You guys Uh... did really well. That was a lot of fun. Oh, gosh. Thank you. I love that. I think... Season of mice. <laughs> Doesn't get better than that. <laughs> and end. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So, I mean, anecdotally, laughing has to be good for you, right? Like, I feel like when I have a good laugh or watch something funny or just like this, I feel better, right? Is there any data to support that? There's a lot of data, actually. So laughter has been studied by psychologists and now physiologists as they've seen positive effects on mood and physical health. So we've known that laughter improves your mood, it decreases anxiety and depressive symptoms, and it lowers your perceived level of stress. But we're also finding that it improves your immunity and can actually provide pain relief by releasing endorphins, your body's natural painkiller. Laughter is also more recently shown to have cardiovascular benefits, like increasing your heart's ability to deliver blood and oxygen more efficiently, almost as much as exercising for the same amount of time. Wow. And that's huge. Wow, I will take that any day. I'll just put on a comedy, like a stand-up thing on Netflix, and you're saying that I, that replaces me going to the gym, right? Yeah, and if it's hard for you to go to the gym, you could come watch one of my shows for an hour, and that's as good as going to the gym. I will take it. <laughs> there you go. So what about when you, yourself, or a loved one, or one of the people you're working with, you know, if they may be feeling burnt out, what are some small but practical steps that they can take to start feeling better? So I think the first step in addressing one's burnout is recognizing that it exists and evaluating what areas of your life are where you want them to be and where there are areas for improvement. Even one small change can have lasting benefits. So for example, in the last six months, I had noticed that my anxiety was becoming more prevalent in my daily life. So in addition to resuming therapy, I started to evaluate what things in my life help and worsen my sense of anxiety. Sleep and exercise definitely help. So I started to create protected time for those every day, even if it was just 20 minutes of exercise or going to bed 15 minutes earlier. 
Interestingly, I noticed that caffeine has been making me feel worse, where it used to make me feel better. I started the difficult but surprisingly beneficial journey of slowly decreasing my caffeine intake, and I've already noticed my morning anxiety has substantially decreased and my sweet sleep quality has improved. Oh, Sarah, don't tell me that. <laughs> I know, it's hard. It is... It was, Ugh. again, it started very slow. And, and that's just what worked for me. And I think that's the thing is that you, it really is an evaluation of, of looking at yourself. What are the habits that help and what are the things that maybe can be altered? And, and one small change, even if it's minute, you know, 15 minutes of going to bed earlier rather than scrolling through your phone, that is a place to start and that counts. Yeah. I mean, Dean, you are, you know, we always talk about your age on this podcast, but you are definitely in the last quarter of your career. And you have had an amazing long career, seem to love what you do, find time for other things. I know you're like a marathon runner and always do things that I'm just like, what? How does he do that? Can you share a little bit about how you have prioritized this and and what find, what things you find? Because I feel like I, I may be aligned a little bit with, doc, with, with Dr. Sarah, but I'm curious to hear what you what your things are. I think part of it has been just luckily things falling in my lap in different areas. So, you know, I mean, I started out um, doing hardcore research, like lab-based research and NIH-sponsored clinical trials. So I considered myself, you know, sort of competitive academic scientist. And then, you know, and then, and then like changed and then came to UC Davis where I was more of a clinician and I hadn't done much clinical work when I was working more on studies, and I thought, oh, wait, doctors actually treat patients and spend time with them, and like, wow, this is like really satisfying, like the relationship that, that you can have with patients and the gratification you can get with, you know, diagnosing and treating patients and talking with parents and stuff. And then um, later on, doing administrative work, which I always thought was like, who wants to do administration? Like, you know, like I'm, a doc- I'm a doctor, I see patients. But like mentorship of people who are younger and, uh, you know, I mean, making a, cool, a good call schedule can like f- feel like, oh my God, I did such a great job with that. And it can be just really satisfying because it's a challenge. It's like a puzzle. So it's almost like sitting down and doing the jumble in the morning or a, or a crossword puzzle or something like that. I, I can get satisfaction out of that. And then personally doing other things. I remember burning out as a fellow um, and during training and thinking, I, know, I just got to do something else. And I wasn't doing anything really personally, you know, like a hobby. I remember going to a bookstore, getting a book of short stories. And then it was in Los Angeles. I went to a, a park in Beverly Hills and sat on a bench and read short stories outside. And, and you know, I mean, it just took like a half an hour. And I thought, this is great. <laughs> this is great. I feel different. So I think there's a variety of ways that, you know, occasionally I found different outlets. Yeah. So for anyone who, you know, wants to be anti-burnout, just make a call schedule. Take a point, make a call schedule. So relaxing, not necessarily, but, but absolutely. I think those are all great things. And some people may find it in exercise. Like you mentioned, I, I really think that like, we, we are overworkers in society these days. And so I love like some of the boundaries between work and home that I've seen specifically with like email signatures, you know, where it says like, I do not expect you to reply when you're at home or I am not going to reply to you between these and these hours. I don't know what you think about those. Those can be translated to any form of work, really. 
Well, I think that just goes to show that's the idea of community care, right? Of I'm giving you the psychological safety of being able to respect your own time, but also being mindful of the fact that, for example, I'm a shift worker. So sometimes it is convenient for me to send an email while I'm at work. But the interesting thing with those email signatures is now it prompts me to to almost second guess myself and say, do I really need to send this now? And it's actually uh, prompted me to do the send later feature of, is this so important that the person needs to wake up to this email? Or can I just plan to send this during usual business hours? And in my mind, it's done. But in their life, it's, you know, one less thing that they have to wake up to in the morning. And I think it just really shows that we're in this together and that I respect your time and I'm being respectful of mine. And uh, and I think that that is how you change workplace culture. I don't know. I have to say, like, for Lena, you know, I'll send her an email, like, on a Saturday night and just, like, feel comfortable that oh, yeah. she knows she doesn't have to respond. But I feel better just, like, sending the email. And I know, Dr. Lena, I assume you feel the same way towards me, that sometimes I don't respond on the weekends or at night. And it's it's fine. Like, I'll do that tomorrow. Yeah. Well, you have some people that you have that relationship with and they know and that that makes it easy. But other people, yes, not so much. And I love that you mentioned mental health. I think that's a, a huge thing that I have leaned on throughout the years. And we've talked about a lot on the podcast. And so, you know, therapy can be so, so huge. There are always barriers to doing that. But I think something that's always worth doing. I absolutely agree. It's an investment in your health in much the same way as scheduling a dentist appointment or your regular, you know, yearly checkups. It's as important to me and as more of a priority, in fact, sometimes um, than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, since our podcast is really aimed at pediatrics and parenting, I wonder what your thoughts are about how we can work to teach and instill these these super, super important skills to our teenagers and kids as they grow up. You know, when I talk to parents about how they can carve out some time for themselves, I remind them that taking care of themselves doesn't mean me first. It means me too. Being a parent means that you are modeling a lifestyle to your children. So wouldn't you want to model healthy and self-nourishing habits? By showing your children that taking care of themselves is as important as being there for others, you're giving them the tools and empowerment to continue that kind of behavior throughout their lives. Self-regulation and showing up for yourself are values that children learn early on and carry with them throughout their adult lives. So what a gift to be able to show your children what that looks like. Right, like you can't take care of others if you don't take care of yourself, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's the first thing you hear when you get on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, well, I think that just is so true and such an important reminder for all of us, myself for sure, and I'm sure our listeners. Mm -hmm. Dr. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today to talk about this very important topic. We hope that our discussion inspired some of you to take a look into your own life and your own work and to help identify some areas where you could work to increase your personal wellness, however that looks for you. So Dr. Lena, do you mind sharing what the one thing is that you think you would like to work on after our discussion today? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I really have been wanting to work on exercise, just like you said, it makes me feel so good when I'm doing it, but I let it fall away. And so I actually did take a step and signed up for a yoga studio near my house. And hopefully I'll be taking my first class tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. hot yoga. Awesome. So you guys can hold me accountable. Hopefully that will happen. That's great. What about you, Dr. Deem? 
you know, it's so easy to react, to try to solve problems instead of listening and building on them. So I liked what Dr. Sarah said about improv, about listen and build. I love that. I'm going to try to incorporate that more. And I think your wife will be happy about that. I think about, <laughs> not only in my personal life, but I think I could do that into my professional life as well. <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. Improv does teach you uh, life skills. It's like a built-in life hack. So that that tickles my heart. Thank you so much. I'm, it's been a pleasure to be here sharing the morning with you all. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you, Dr. Sarah. We appreciate your expertise on this topic, although Dr. Dean and I take responsibility for any errors or misinformation. That wraps up this episode of Kids Considered. You can find more information on our website, kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu. Follow us on Twitter at Kids Considered. And Instagram at Kids Considered. If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. Please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388. Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com. Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital.